0: to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore three accounts of haunted houses, or rather, three houses that were claimed to be haunted in the press, all of which are connected by a haunted object or feature Within. So each house has something inside it which people believed was the source of the paranormal activity. Now, all three of these accounts were recorded firsthand by a roving occultist slash journalist, which is a wonderful job title. I'm just a plain old journalist. This was an Journalist, And they recorded these in the first half of the 20th century, so roughly 100 years ago now, and they involve a dark conspiracy concerning a local vicar, a sinister old lady who hated unexpected visitors at her ancestral property, and finally the discovery of a damaged skeleton of a man who, it appeared, had come to a rather unfortunate end. End. So, that's enough preamble. Let us crack open these curious cases. And so, to begin at the beginning. And our narrator tells us that there are many tales of hauntings where the disturbing power is attached to some thing so the disturbing power of the haunting is attached to something in the house it could be a chair it could be a piece of jewelry it could be a child's toy dolls are very popular nowadays very much in vogue and this disturbing power would stop almost immediately if the item was removed so if this disturbing power was attached to a chair or to a doll by removing that chair or doll that haunting would stop, although possibly it would be transferred to wherever that object was taken to. Now, our first case takes place in a very old farmhouse in one of the South Welsh counties, which is a bit vague. This writer does obscure the locations of some of these places because when she was writing, the people concerned were very much alive and well and she didn't want to point the finger at them but it's very frustrating for us nowadays because we can't pinpoint where they were but we do know it was a very old farmhouse somewhere in one of the south welsh counties and it was reported that at this farmhouse there were mysterious tappings mysterious tappings that were constantly heard and always from the same spot in the wall of a particular room so these mysterious tappings were only ever heard in one spot, in one room, on one part of the wall. But nothing was ever done about it. In the grand scale of hauntings, in a scale of 1 to 10, this is pretty low. This was not demons running around the house scaring people. The occupants would just hear a mysterious tapping noise now and then. And it clearly it wasn't bothering the occupiers. And maybe they didn't even think it was paranormal in nature. Until at least to quote... The house fell into such bad repair that it had to be partly rebuilt. When the masons were pulling down the wall from whence the tappings came, they found carefully built into this very wall an old register book. They found behind this wall from which the mysterious tappings had been emanating an old registry book, which all sounds a little bit Edgar Allan Poe-like discovering lost objects behind hidden walls, possibly purposefully built for the purpose of concealment. And in this book, in this register book, they found the details concerning the local community from some time gone by. and to quote once more it was said to be in a fair state of preservation and the later entries in it dated from the time of the commonwealth so i'm assuming we're looking at the second half of the 17th century here and interestingly they showed that a mason who could neither read nor write was then appointed vicar of the parish and the former incumbent was turned out So the vicar of this parish, for some reason, was kicked out of their job, and they were replaced by an illiterate mason. Sadly, this old book doesn't go into specifics and tell us why these events happened. It simply tells us that they did. However, the vicar did not leave the parish. He might've been kicked out of his job, but he was not kicked out of the parish. And instead, he seems to have remained among his parishioners, performing the offices of the church in secret. And it is suggested that as an undercover vicar, as a vicar doing vicary things when he shouldn't have been doing vicary things, he took refuge in the farmhouse, in that very farmhouse which is assumed to have been a much more important building back in the day. Not that farmhouses aren't important, but it was more important back in the day. And the clergyman had the register book hidden in the wall to preserve it from falling into the hands of the illiterate mason. The book was hidden in that wall and it was not found Until the time when that house was partially rebuilt. And at the time this was written some hundred years ago, we are told that the old book has been restored and is much treasured by its possessor. Since its discovery, the house has been rebuilt and is now entirely free from mysterious tappings. So, this relatively tame haunting started and ended quite mildly, you could say. It was all quite well-mannered some kind of ghostly presence was tapping at the wall until they discovered this book and then they politely moved on afterwards our next haunting however leaves the occupant's terrified and is far from being tame now this takes place in the county of glamorganshire as it was the historical county of glamorganshire which again is a bit vague not quite as vague as anywhere in the south of wales but it's still a bit vague and is in the south once more and is described as a striking instance a striking instance of how a ghost can be in order to achieve whatever it is they want to achieve. And as with the tapping sounds in the previous tale, this is a ghost that wants to be seen, that wants to be noticed. It is not a ghost that is hiding in the shadows. And it concerns a Mr. Roberts, who was the owner of a very ancient house in the county, who decided for various reasons, to let it out for a time. Maybe he needed the money, maybe he knew it was haunted, but whatever the reason, he let it out. And he was fortunate in finding a tenant who seemed to be delighted with the place and snapped it up for a few years. So he had no trouble renting out this nice, big, ancient mansion. Somebody picked it up, signed a contract for a few years. However, his delight would not last long because, to quote, After he had lived there for a few months, this gentleman wrote to Mr. Thomas saying he could no longer stay in the house. When pressed for reasons, he evaded reply for a while, but at length said he could not stand the ghost. And I'll repeat that bit. At length, he said he could not stand the ghost. And to quote, it appeared that one day Soon after his arrival, he had been sitting quietly reading in one of the rooms when, on raising his eyes from his book, he had been astonished to see a little old lady with a horrible frowning expression standing close by him. And I should probably repeat that quickly as well, because there's a lot going on here all of a sudden. Next to him, he saw a little old lady with a horrible frowning expression. And as he gazed at her, she vanished as suddenly and noiselessly as she had come. But this appearance was followed by many others. This was not going to be a one-off. In fact, the old lady always with her sinister frowning look haunted him. So I think it's safe to say this very much sounds like a ghost. He certainly is convinced it's a ghost it's not a particularly happy or nice sounding ghost it's always frowning it's always giving him the evil stare and it's not a random or an infrequent ghost it is to quote him it is literally haunting him he says this ghost is a constant feature in the house that keeps popping up and to continue whenever he least expects Expected her he was sure to look round and find her at his elbow and at last the apparition had become too much for his nerves and he felt he must leave the place so his tenancy was quite short-lived now i mentioned at the start we don't know why mr roberts rented this house out in the first place could he potentially have known about this ghost well the man who rented it didn't think mr roberts had stitched him up in any way by renting out a haunted house rather he had his own theory as to what was going on, and he was sure the old lady was an ancestress of Mr. Roberts, who annoyed at the family home being occupied by a stranger, evidently resolved to make herself unpleasant until she drove him away, in which amiable resolution she succeeded. Oh, did she succeed in making herself unpleasant and driving him away. So He believed he had disturbed or upset an ancestor in some way that was attached to this building. But what had he done to disturb the ancestor? Well, unlike the previous one where it was clear the wall was being tapped at the exact location of this object, in this one he could not find any clear source. Rather, in this case, the entire property appeared to be the source of the activity. And in our third and final case, these ideas that a ghost might be attached to an object and might also be attached to the property itself come together. And as our narrator explains to us, we're told that, as a rule, new bricks and mortar create an environment particularly uncongenial to a self-respecting ghost. So ghosts don't like new bricks and mortar being added They want to hang on to the old bricks that were there, presumably the old bricks and mortar that were there when they were alive. Because as we all know, all of the best good old ghost stories take place in crumbling gothic castles and abbeys not in shiny new build homes and our narrator gives us a wonderful description of the kind of place a ghost would ideally want to haunt and to quote they would be buildings of ivied walls gabled roots dim and musty passages leading to gloomy oak paneled rooms these supply the kind of setting that the spook of convention demands. And that atmospheric description is ideal for our last tale because it takes place in a building which is absolutely nothing like that description. In fact, we are told this place is not haunted but we can finally be a bit more specific as to where exactly it takes place although the location is still disguised but it's much easier for us to make an educated guess as to where it might be because we know this takes place just outside the seaside village of somewhere that starts with a b e r letter 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 and ends with n now being familiar with the author's work I am going to suggest the events in this tale took place in Aberaeron in modern-day Ceredigion on the west coast of Wales. But of course there are other places it could potentially be. Aberavon, for example in my hometown of Port Talbot would also fit. But if I was a gambling man and I'm not a gambling man but if I was I would suggest this is probably in Aberaeron. But wherever it is it's somewhere that starts with Abba, it ends with N, and rather curiously, for a ghost story, it starts with a house that we are told is very nondescript. definitely not like that gothic description just now, and we are told it is definitely not haunted. And it was built some 15 years ago at the time of writing by a retired seaman called captain morgan and just to interrupt quickly and to go off on a very very quick tangent but did you know that captain morgan the world famous pirate who appears on bottles of spiced rum and also makes a brief appearance in the pirates of the caribbean franchise was indeed welsh and does indeed have a family connection with one of Wales's best known, supposedly haunted places. But that's a different Captain Morgan. Morgan is a very popular Welsh surname, and I'm sure there's lots of Captain Morgans out there. And we'll have a look at the famous pirate some other day. But returning to this Captain Morgan and this house in Aberiron, or probably in Aberiron, which is described as a very ordinary. very much an example of the common five windows and a door in the middle style of architecture absolutely unrelieved by gable porch or balcony so no fanciful additions no gothic adornments at all not even a little ivy and it is to quote certainly far from suggesting any thoughts of the uncanny This place is not uncanny, it's not haunted, it's not gothic, it's not somewhere. I would even mention on this podcast usually if it's not uncanny, if it's not haunted, if it's not gothic. And yet, and yet, our narrator remembers hearing soon after it was built and occupied that it was supposed to harbour a ghost. Yes, this perfectly normal, not haunted house was supposed to harbour a ghost. And as such, they made inquiries to try and find out a little bit more. But they could elicit little of the details beyond the fact that Captain Morgan had remarked to a friend, I don't know what it is about my house, but we do hear the queerest of noises that we can't account for. We begin to think it is haunted. So it's gone from being not haunted to potentially haunted and word of these noises as he described them soon spread and people remembered rather a curious thing about the house because soon after it was begun while the workmen were engaged on the foundations they came across the skeleton of a man buried in the earth and examination revealed that the skull had a hole through the forehead. And while I've never built a house myself, I'm assuming that's one of the last things you expect to find when you're building one, when you're laying the foundations, a skeleton of a man with a hole through the forehead of his skull. And we are told that instead of keeping these remains together and having them interred in consecrated ground, which was the polite thing to be doing if you did find a long lost skeleton. And once again, just to repeat, it's not something I've done myself. But the finders, the workmen, carelessly left the bones just lying around until they crumbled away and were hopelessly scattered so they found this Skellington. they couldn't even be bothered moving it burying it nothing they just left it there to crumble away into the foundations and I've said it once I'll say it again we are definitely drifting into Edgar Allan Poe territory again and what could possibly go wrong if you just leave a mutilated skeleton in the foundations of the house well I'm sure you dear listener have got some pretty good ideas by this point but maybe it suggests that this is the source of the haunting at Captain Morgan's lovely new home that was built on top of it this home in a way was its gravestone and to return to the account and return to the haunting while captain morgan and his family continued to complain about the paranormal activity within the walls of their home nevertheless as our narrator explains if indeed this Skellington was the cause well this was but conjecture and nobody could say for certain and the identity of that unfortunate person that Skellington, would have to remain a mystery because to quote time has long since closed the page on which is written the fate which overtook some unknown individual on that spot perhaps a century or more ago and there is no local tradition to help one to frame a reason for any such deed of violence. Which is a fancy way of saying that this person died so long ago that the narrator has no real chance of finding out any more details about them they've asked the locals but this goes back well over a century it's it's certainly older than living memory so even the old timers as they like to call them in this village are not going to be able to help but they do take an educated guess which i think a lot of people assumed and that is judging by the hole in the skull this person probably did not die peacefully they might well have been murdered but the good news is, whatever had happened to them, and for whatever reason they were haunting that property, the inexplicable sounds suddenly stopped. The haunting came to a sudden halt, and it is said the cessation dates from the day of a terrible thunderstorm when the house was struck by lightning, though not much damaged. An electric disturbance which seems to have effectively laid or at least frightened, away the ghost. Which, in all the episodes I've recorded to date, I think this might be the first example of an account of a haunting where the ghost was laid, the ghost was busted by electricity, by a bolt of lightning from the heavens Striking the property and silencing that restless spirit for good. Well, maybe not for good, but certainly for a time, because while it's impossible to check nowadays because we don't know exactly where this is, I can only assume if it is indeed in Aber iron Whoever is living in Captain Morgan's house today is hopefully not being bothered by the skeleton of a man with a hole in the skull and that brings us to the end of the third and final tale for this episode three stories which i think are loosely connected and might offer some hints as to what was going on but while there might be some answers among them it probably throws up just as many questions as to what exactly was going on in the haunted counties of wales and so ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button. And if you really enjoyed it, you can support the podcast by treating me to a coffee via my website or just leaving a nice review or rating. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, you can follow me on social media. And as well as this podcast, I've written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and varian amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, if there's something strange in your neighbourhood, maybe you should be phoning an electrician before you phone the Ghostbusters. Until next time, Nostar!